0: Time travel to fun in the 16th century at the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Ten stages, food, pubs, shopping, jousting. Saturday, Sundays, and Labor Day Monday through October 24th. For tickets, visit MarylandRenaissanceFestival.com. Save big on admission through September 12th.
1: Welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and we have got a good one for you today, folks. SummerSlam season in full swing, but we are not looking forward. We are looking to the past. We have got big things in store for you. And while I'd much rather have Steve Harvey co-hosting After the Bell alongside me, instead I present to you the Oats to My Hall the voice of nxt vic joseph vic what's the good word my friend
2: well at least you're sticking with people from cleveland which i do appreciate that graves but i am very excited for today we're going back talking about one of my favorite events of all time and also we have some delicious treats
1: delicious treats indeed Mm. if you listened last week we gave you a homework assignment if you didn't listen last week it's okay there's still time to get caught up hop on to peacock look up SummerSlam 1992 one of the greatest pay-per-view events in the history of sports entertainment and if you if you did do your homework this conversation is going to make a lot more sense to you if not maybe it will inspire you to watch and relive the spectacle that was SummerSlam 1992 from Wembley Stadium. Vic initial thoughts when I made this assignment last week.
2: I was pretty pumped for it you know you go back you think about SummerSlams and a lot of them you know jump off the map for different specific moments but one for a lot of us that are around our age in the 30s are always those early 90-esque Summer Slams, you know? And so 92 always stood out to me. I was really pumped for it. It also gave me a good excuse to... Pop on a 92 pay-per-view and watch it with uh, friends and those that are around me. And also eat these delicious candies, which really was the whole premises of the whole thing anyways. Right, are you
1: clearly dying to talk about the candy? Yeah,
2: I am. I keep looking
1: at them too. Last week, there was a mild debate that we engaged in about the best underrated candy bars. So we, being the crew, all chipped in, bought ourselves a litany of quote-unquote underrated candy bars. And I mean, when I say underrated... Let's, let's give the parameters here, Vic. Not Reese's Cups, right. not Snickers, not right. Hershey's Bars, not any of the ones that first come to mind. I'm talking that's about the B-plus players, if you will, yeah, of the candy of world. Yeah. So, so we all went out and stocked up, and we will be enjoying and continuing that debate as we break down all things SummerSlam 1992. But before we get there, Vic, this year's SummerSlam, Allegiant Stadium, a few weeks out, the card beginning to take shape. As of right now, it appears... We will have John Cena versus Roman Reigns and Goldberg versus the almighty Bobby Lashley. This thing's looking really big in a hurry. Yeah,
2: you talk about Allegiant Stadium. It's one of the newer stadiums too, Graves, is it not? For... It's
1: beautiful. I have not yet been inside it. Yes, out in Las Vegas. It dri- I've driven past the thing and it looks yeah, like the Death it. Star.
2: And it's, it looks super cool and it's going to be even better when it's filled with... 40, 45, whatever the number will be of the members of the WWE Universe that will pack into Allegiant Stadium. But you think about what you just said, Roman Reigns, superstar. John Cena, mega superstar. Bobby Lashley, legitimate badass. Goldberg, legitimate badass. I mean, those two matches right there. And can't forget... But well, you get a call for Monday Night Raw, the women's triple threat match that's been made official as well. So it's shaping up very nicely. I'm excited for SummerSlam. I'm excited for the night after SummerSlam, NXT TakeOver 36. It's going to be a great weekend.
1: This year, all roads lead to Las Vegas. But this week here on ATB, we are taking you back across the pond, Wembley Stadium, London, England, to help us navigate this journey. Because this is a massive undertaking. You may recognize their voices, their faces From right here on After the Bell, they are a production crew that keep Vic and I in line and make sure we don't screw up too bad. Dan and Alex, welcome to the show, guys. Hello. Always fun. Good morning. When it comes to fandom, I find it hard to outmatch Dan and Alex and their knowledge, their vast knowledge of all things sports entertainment. It's always good to have them join the conversation. This is fun. We've done a few of these different episodes on ATB lately. I'm having a blast. Vic, you're here. Uh, Let's keep giving the people what they want. More me? no 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 that was kind of the exact opposite of what i meant oh all right well where are we going now wow you are on top (laughs) of your game this week (laughs) thanks vic for your addition to the show let's not waste any more time you know what we're talking about this this took place what's what's happening right now oh wow We're going to go old
2: school. We're going to do it out of a stereo, too. Let's talk about SummerSlam 90.
1: <laughs> that wasn't a stereo. That's, that was your cell phone. I know, but it, it, mean, it, it sounded real album. bad, and it had to go through, like, five different waves. So it kind of sounded like a stereo. This thing is going off the rails in a hurry. It was August. Talk? What? I was going to say, can we talk about the show now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vic shows up, what? doesn't want to talk about anything in pre-production, and as soon as we actually start making the show, all Vic wants to do is play songs on his cell phone. That's good. That's real professional, Vic. That's what I was here for. Give me prop gags. I'm still trying to figure out what the hell you're here for. (laughs) August 29th, 1992, Wembley Stadium in London. It was the first major WWE pay-per-view to take place outside of North America. And we still talk about it to this day, all these years later, because from start to finish, one of the most epic cards in WWE history. We all watched it this past week. We hope you did too. I wanna start out at the very top. As soon as I hit play on my Peacock machine, the Ico Pro commercial. Ico Pro, you've gotta want it. It's become nostalgia, it's become sort of a punchline. I didn't even know what Ico Pro was at the time. I remember the WBF body stars and all the all the uh you know, weightlifting and bodybuilding programming that was kind of intertwined in WWE at the time. And I just remember all my favorite superstars. Take Ico Pro. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to take it. I don't. I still never tried it, but it still makes me laugh when I see those ads.
3: Yeah, as a scrawny, like, eight-year-old at the time, I would just see these ads of, like, Razor Ramon grunting and just somebody screaming at me about Ico Pro. It's like, I don't even know. What the, is this a powder? Is this a shake? I don't know what this thing is. It doesn't matter, but I was all in on
0: it. I don't even think my like young brain connected what it was. I was just like, "Oh, Icopro, that's the banner that hangs up on the rafters at Monday Night Raw." That's just right, what that right. is. Right. Right. It was that it was, was more, it. more
1: set dressing than it right. was an actual supplement. But
3: and two things to notice at the beginning Ico Pro is great, and then also foam finger business is booming in 1992.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Hot merch, the the foam finger of your favorite superstar. And I was trying to think as I was watching this, I was trying to remember if I watched this on pay-per-view as it happened or like so many of our generation, I had to wait until it came out on VHS and rush to the video store and rent it and watch it. I can't remember if I watched it as it happened. It was definitely within the, the reasonable time frame because I was an avid TV watcher. I was definitely
2: VHS. I do remember that. I was definitely the VHS Coliseum 21 down the street is where we had to get all of our wrestling VHS tapes. So I didn't have the pay-per-view, but definitely that VHS. And it was running weekend after weekend after weekend.
3: I started watching in 93 and I got obsessed immediately. And so I remember going to video library in Kansas and just being like, all right, WrestleMania nine, SummerSlam 92. Got to figure out like how we got to this point and seeing all these weird things like, oh, why is Razor Ramon a bad guy here? I'm used to him being just the super nice guy in 1993. So definitely VHS for me as well. Uh, I remember my uncle,
0: Scott, had this pay-per-view ordered. So we went over to his my dad and I went over to his house to watch it in the basement as it aired. May or may not have been in a legal set-top box, but that's not that's not really the point here. Uh, but yeah, this was. I think this honestly was the first pay-per-view event as a child that I actually ever saw, uh, believe it or not.
1: So your commentary team for the event, Vincent Kennedy McMahon himself alongside Bobby the Brain Heenan, and what stands out to me, and it's very important as the event progresses, is Vince continues to use the phrase pageantry and spectacle. And this lived up to it. That's the one recurring theme. I'm going to keep going back to everything about this event. Every superstar that made an entrance, everything felt enormous. Not just because physically they were in an 80,000 plus seat stadium. Everything felt important. I haven't seen most of these matches in years, but I watched them and I was invested and I had this fun nostalgia trip. And I even paid attention and watched it differently from the mentality of Corey Graves, 2021, than you know, as, as a, but I guess an eight year old kid at the time, but pageantry and spectacle is the theme. We talk, we, we usually reserve that for WrestleMania. This kind of had a very WrestleMania vibe to it. it. It felt really big from the very beginning, seeing all the fans
3: out front that aren't used to like a pay-per-view coming to England. And you, there's like a palpable excitement. And I remember there was this one kid that went, uh, the bulldog is going to win whether he wants to or not. And I, said, yeah. I think he wants to win. Pretty sure he wants to win. <laughs>
2: And ended up using that, and like that's a clip that always, whatever happened to that little bulldog kid? I think someone did a, a little write-up on him the years later, but the one thing, Graves, that I do have to agree with, starting at the first match, I don't want to jump into the first match, but the entryway, the aisle, was, I had never seen an aisle like that, and I, start, I tried to really think about all the previous events I had watched as a kid. I mean, you, f- you felt like they were walking forever. You, you know, yeah, It was approximately
1: thing. 11 miles long. And it probably was like the entry whoa. to the ring.
2: <laughs> it was so cool. And um yeah, you just looked around and you just were it was awe inspiring. It was awe inspiring
1: to see. They didn't have the little carts from uh, WrestleMania three, they actually like it down there. <laughs> we couldn't couldn't bring those across the pond. They don't have those yep. in England. Golf <laughs> cart's not a big thing over in the UK. I also
0: love that old school orange SummerSlam logo. And it was just so minimalistic, right? It's just like, here's the entryway. Here's the curtain where they come out. The SummerSlam logo's up top. And now you have to walk a mile down this blue carpet hey. to get to the ring. And it just, it, it was But
1: awesome. somehow it still felt as big to me as it does today with the pomp and circumstance. Correct. And the pyrotechnics <laughs> and the LED boards. It just felt important. And that started at the top of the card. Money, Inc., IRS, and the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, kicking things off. With the LOD.
2: And those motorcycles. Now I can get back to the actual entry for LOD coming down on the motorcycles all the way down. The,
1: you the just pads. made one of the most badass epic entrances in SummerSlam, <laughs> perhaps WWE history. Can I get into Sound it? Sound like an afterthought. No, you said, oh, and by the way, they had the motorcycle. Oh it was cool because I already this, talked about it once. Vic, Vic, at the age of 37, I'm watching this, and when I saw Hawk and Animal... And Paul Ellering come out, and never mind Rocco, Rocco. on the front of the motorcycle. Yeah, is one the of the coolest things about, about it. No, 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 <laughs> Yes, no. The yes. less said about Rocco, the better. Rocco Rocco's was a awesome. terrible idea. Everything Ooh. else about the package is what makes me a fan to this day. I turned into an eight-year-old kid seeing Hawk and Animal with their spiked shoulder pads ride out on motorcycles, and I got off my couch, and I wanted to kick somebody's ass. Because I wanted it to play was with that Rocco. Cool. That is that is. Pro wrestling, sports entertainment, whatever you want to call it, to me that was just the quintessential scene: the road warriors on motorcycles riding into a stadium full of people to beat somebody's ass. What a way to kick off a show! Can you think
3: of a motorcycle entrance before that? Because obviously it's been it's been done many times since oh. Triple H and Taker and everything. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was definitely I don't it was definitely so. an early one.
1: Yeah, it might have been the first time in WWE. I can't I'm think sure. of one before that. Hopefully, somebody listening uh, knows the actual statistic if it was the first. Uh, Or or if it wasn't, I'm sure they will very unkindly let us know. Did the Road
0: Warriors do it in NWA or like before they came to WWE? It's
1: possible. I'm I'm not sure. Let's put it this way. Here's a great blanket statement. I've gotten good at these. To the best (laughs) of my memory, it was the first time that I recall seeing anybody enter a pro wrestling match on a motorcycle. Can't argue that. Oh, Can't argue no, with no. that one. <laughs> it's your memory.
0: And going back to the Road Warriors previous to their time in WWE, they're, you know, they were always so well known for that Black Sabbath Iron Man entrance music. Mm-hmm. But I gotta say, man, some, there's something about that WWE L-O-D music that got Hear me him.
1: just as pumped for oh, their entrance What a rush. Come yeah. on now. I mean, if that doesn't get you fired up, it, it absolutely was the coolest. And, and the sad thing was. We've learned in the years since that at this point, Hawk was at the peak of some of his struggles. This wasn't the LOD that were the most dominant tag team of the 80s and early 90s. This was this was a I hate to say watered down, but a less than version of what we know as the LOD, in my opinion, the the greatest tag team of all time. Um, And it was still awesome. You can see, looking with a, with a watchful eye, as as we all do, the four of us do, and most fans nowadays, we realize, oh that, that didn't look quite right. That wasn't quite the way it's supposed to go. It's kind of a shame, but it also, to me, speaks to the talent of all four guys involved in the match and just the, the energy and the, the crowd and how it was a perfect storm. And even though it may not have been the best in-ring match of the LOD or Money, Inc.'s careers, it was still an awesome way to kick off the night. They still had the presence, they had
3: the look, you know, all of that was still there, part of the package. And that's important too, man, because we always talk about it for
2: any show, how are you going to start the show? You got to get the crowd on their feet, ready to go. And, you know, all joking aside, when Legion of Doom comes out on the motorcycles, I mean, that crowd was ready. They were ready to explode for SummerSlam, and they were invested in that matchup. And That match went what, 12, 13, 14, 15 minutes? but. The the audience was into everything and it was so well done, too, because I remember sitting back watching it just the other day thinking, oh, oh, no, they got me even once or twice. It was just so well done. And then you start thinking about who's in the match. L.O.D. Ellering. Those are Hall of Famers. Ted DiBiase is a Hall of Famer. Jimmy Hart on the outside is a Hall of Famer. You saw all these Hall of Famers. We didn't even know it at the time. I thought it was so cool. And it was looking back for me thinking about all
1: those all that talent that was in the ring at that time. and We had no idea. It jumped out to me, since this is the first match on the pay-per-view event, and it would carry out throughout the night, the pace of everything. Everything was much slower. Every match had a lot more time. But then I started thinking, at this time, we only did three or four pay-per-views a year. SummerSlam was one of the four. So you had months of television to tell the stories leading up to these matchups. Whereas now I know a lot of people, myself included, go, man, I'd really like to just save that. Let that take some time and play out. But the, the business has changed. The way people have consumed these, these events has changed drastically. But to me, it was really cool that the pacing, everything mattered. Every match, even the matches I didn't remember took place or the backstory. They felt big.
3: Also, Heenan is on fire this entire show. Oh my god! Oh, god yeah. There's <laughs> a call he makes in this opening tag match where uh, Money Inc does something where they don't tag or whatever, and Vince calls him out, and Heenan goes, "Well, if you're close enough, you don't really have to tag. It's fine." <laughs> <laughs> That's not how that works, <laughs> no. Dude, Heenan. Uh, I I'm glad you brought up Heenan Dan because there are
0: multiple moments in this entire event where I you just realize just how great he was at playing that like that that contrarian bad guy commentator mm-hmm. and one that he does in this match and then he does it again in the tag team title match later on in the show is he is constantly if 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 money inc hits a hits a big move and that puts you know hawker animal down he is constantly going well that's it call ring the bell now match is over like he's always calling for the match <laughs> before it's even close <laughs> to being over and it just yeah that's it it's over that's done and, <laughs> no and no. it just
1: adds so much to that like Wanting to hate Money Inc., which is what you're supposed to do, you know. Yeah, he's the greatest of all time. No argument there. Heenan was on fire all night. After the LOD and Money Inc. kicked things off, here's a sleeper hit of the summer. Oh, geez. well, maybe four people will agree with that. Uh, I completely forgot this match happened. Virgil versus Nails. Now, hear me out. This is this is what's this was my takeaway from this. The reaction that Virgil got was <laughs> legit. Yeah. I So it it made me, you know, get a little introspective and think I had a Virgil action figure. I very likely cheered for Virgil as a child. And now it's 2021 and and Virgil, you know, has become sort of an Internet meme and a punchline from time to time. All he wants to talk about is Olive Garden and, and he's a caricature of himself. But give the man some credit. When Virgil made his entrance in Wembley Stadium, that place seemed to be rocking pretty good. Well,
3: also, don't forget the promo where he's shadow boxing and says he's too legit to quit.
1: That's true. That is true. <laughs> Very MC timely, Hammer Shout out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my God. I, I, to that same point, I was of the age. I remember too legit to quit. MC Hammer was the coolest guy on the planet. So now MC Hammer says it. And Virgil says it. Virgil is basically like me because we both like MC Hammer. Virgil is now my dude. That's how that stuff worked to me when I was a kid. You, and know, most how you, spell, of us.
2: you know how you spell man, V-I-R-G-I-L. That's my favorite Virgil <laughs> promo
1: right.
2: that he, ever, <laughs> that he now,
1: ever cut. Now on the other side of the ring, I uh, I am finding it a little more difficult to be complimentary about anything that had to do <laughs> yes. with nails. Right, I remember nails showing up as the the uh, someone from Big Boss Man's past, and as an eight year old kid, it seems believable. Yeah, this guy's still ticked off that Boss Man mistreated him or whatever. But watching nails. I'm just trying to find any bright spot. The dude couldn't move. The dude didn't even look cool. He looked like somebody's big great uncle who just got out of the clink. It just wasn't I I was just looking, going, hmm, I don't see anywhere, any way that this should have been a great
3: thing. Well, the one bright spot is another Heenan line where he says Nails only went to prison because he was buying his mother flowers and forgot to pay the parking ticket. And so he went to jail. That was the one part of this match I liked.
1: So, so you didn't have a nails action figure growing up. Oh, I did have a nails action figure. Oh, okay. I, I think <laughs> well, I did. I'm 99% sure it still exists. My I brother think, probably has it. I
0: think you're giving it too much credit. It honestly looked more like a, like a prison Halloween costume than yeah, really an actual, was, right, right. actual <laughs> prisoner
2: hey go to party city get his gear and then come back to
0: it yeah. dude his his department of corrections a number on the back was that was sharpie it had to be sharpie right
1: <laughs> mr sacco level yeah. Right. yeah yeah but yeah what a what a uh, what a whiff that turned out to be uh the match was terrible the ending <laughs> was oh. not good it was the ugliest the, excuse for a sleeper hold and it was not a sleeper hold i, I, I don't know it's just all right. be real with me did you laugh no, no, honest to God, once my, my brain went, wow, Virgil was kind of legitimately a star here for a minute. That was the end. Everything was downhill after I made that realization. (laughs) What was going on with the ref in that match,
0: dude? Like, Nails was legitimately choking him the entire time and never got thrown out. Like, what was going on there?
1: Referee's discretion, you know. Different different era.
3: (laughs) Was this coming off of Virgil, uh, you know, splitting up with Million Dollar Man and feuding with him? Because I think they had that mania match, didn't they? Yeah, it
1: must have been. It must have been right after that, yeah. But, yeah, Virgil had a little bit of steam. It was just kind of fun because, again, in this day and age, the, the internet wrestling community in particular <laughs> is not exactly kind to old Virgil, and he's sort of leaned into his, his sort of absurdities. But it, you got to give a little credit where it's due, man. The guy actually had a, had a little bit of steam and had a little bit of a run going there for a while. All right, enough
2: about, you know, Virgil. Really quick, Graves. I've been salivating. Can we get into the candy?
1: Please okay yeah let's get into the candy before we get actually officially into the candy here's a few things about Corey graves i am mortified at the thought of eating on camera in any capacity so if i don't uh you know dive right in and uh, try to go a little covert ops here that's why i'm very self-conscious about the act of eating i know everybody does it i do it i just don't like to be watched while i do it also full disclosure i bought more candy bars But last night, sometime around 10, 11 p.m., let's just say I had a really, really strong craving for chocolate. (laughs) And I may or may not have eaten two of the candy bars designated for today's competition. But I haven't forgotten my opinion, so I can still add to the conversation. 100 grand. We started off, 100 grand was the first bar I needed to have at that moment. I still think it stands up. It's an underrated banger. 100 grand yeah no one ever brings it up it's always a uh, so what are the, the main
3: event guys here are what snickers butterfinger hershey i think those those are like the big three if i were to name them so sure here, yeah we're looking under the radar here and 100 grand no one ever talks about but every
1: one of them is delicious 100 grand might be virgil at SummerSlam 1992 <laughs> <laughs> may not yeah. be an all-time great but it yep. is certainly serviceable when you need it had a big moment
0: 25 years ago and still hanging around today on the shelves there you go I like the miniatures, put them in the refrigerator for a little bit, get them a little cool. That's a nice summer. Oh, treat. that's a great point, Vic. Now, do you guys put your candy bars when you buy them if you're not eating them right away? Do you throw them in the fridge or do you leave them out? Because I put the Always in the fridge, fridge. too. Yes, yeah,
1: definitely in the fridge. fridge. I do Reese's Nutrageous in the freezer. Freezer. Uh-huh. See, I'm a big Nutrageous guy. Now this this is not our favorite candy bars. This is trying to get a little love to those that don't get it. Cause I am, I would dare say that Nutrageous is my number one overall. Wow. It's it's a really that's a five-star candy bar. It's great. It sure is. Nut-rageous and uh, turner's iced tea which is a pittsburgh thing it's like an institution who got me through high school gets me through the day till this very day what, what am i kidding uh but anyway let's not talk too much about candy we're going what should 100- we start with here i got yeah, a, let's pick out of a bar here yeah let's pick a bar out dan you pick it okay
3: i got three here i got the whatchamacallit a score which i've definitely never had and a you've never had avenue. a score no, and I don't think I've had a Fifth Avenue either. Dan's be-
1: never scored.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Lord. We were having
2: a nice time, guys. My goodness. And I'm going to tell you, I think a score is better than a Heath bar. Okay. Really? Okay, but
0: what's the difference?
2: There is no difference. I just think because
1: it's not the Heath bar that it's better. So, full disclosure, while I do have a score bar still in my hand right now because I accidentally bought two of them last night. Yeah, I accidentally, my
2: ass accidentally, Chubbs. I...
1: <laughs> wow, your body's shaming me on a podcast. <laughs> Whatever. Wow, <laughs> tremendous. Anyway, I did the same thing. I've eaten scores before. My better half, my significant other, has never partaken in a score. She just outright said it's not as good as Heath Bar. I said, well, try it. She took one bite and said yep not as good as a heath bar they're literally the same it's the same thing the it's same to- exact it's crisp thing. crisp
3: butter toffee which i believe yeah heath is is very toffee heavy correct
1: yes it is toffee it's toffee covered in chocolate period that's all it is very simple beautiful in its simplicity check out a score bar is that what we're starting with it. yeah that's like what we're it. starting with
0: it's so good alex is already chewing it here we yeah, go it's amazing i go. love I score i've had you. this a million times.
2: While everybody is, and also full disclosure, in. I bought extra candy just for myself over here.
1: Oh, this is good. There we go. See, Dan, oh, it's yeah. an underrated banger,
0: man. It's you know what's solid. even? You know what's even weirder? Hershey mm-hmm. also makes Heath, so they yeah. literally have two of the same exact candy bar. Really?
1: Yes. <laughs> See, I didn't realize that. I, I actually <laughs> had this discussion last night. I. I said, it's a Coke or Pepsi sort of thing. Are you a Heath guy or a score guy? I didn't realize they were made by the same company.
3: I actually only had like 70% of the bar break off in my mouth at one time. So I'm working through it right now. No, so what, like really
2: what I like to do is scores. I like to chew off the top layer. You're a
1: weird guy Vic. And then Stop I just it. eat the toffee. Oh, so good. That's very, very strange. But while you're weirding the rest of us out, oh let's talk gosh. about what came up. Stop it. This is what I was afraid of. I'm going to have to what? listen to Vic make love sounds to his candy bar while well, I'm trying to talk about SummerSlam 19. Don't love shame me with my candy. I'm just shaming you in general. You just oh body shame me. Oh, my gosh. This is so good. This is going to be a nightmare for our editors, Vic. You realize that. It's yes, your I fault. do. All right, well, blame Let's it. Let's talk about what happened next. My favorite match, I think, on the card, something I completely had forgotten about, Shawn Michaels versus the model Rick Martel, with sensational Sherry ringside. This was so different because even to this day, you very rarely see, quote, unquote, bad guy versus bad guy. Shawn Michaels was not beloved yet. He was sort of finding himself really coming into his own as a singles competitor. No one like the model Rick Martel, who, by the way, might be, in my opinion, one of the most underrated superstars that never really had a great run in WWE. Oh my God. I'm so glad you said time. that. Yeah, the yes, this, I
3: am a model pen
1: is so good, excellent arrogance in the <laughs> yes. in the, the 100%. atomizer, the,
3: the mm-hmm. old school
2: perfume, pump. yeah, bow tie. Yes, you know, Graves. One time you asked me on the show who's in the Hall of Fame that isn't in there. Rick Martel is probably my pick. Well, there you go. To be honest, Rick, and this this was the match. and I'm sorry, I just jumped in on you. This was the match I looked forward to for the entire to rewatch was this one right here.
1: Villain versus villain, sensational Sherry's allegiance, sort of in question and the stipulation was that both men promised not to punch each other in the face oh was great amazing they're money makers you've got the model you've got hbk the heartbreak it just don't ruin the face mm-hmm. it was so but, simple and very rarely does villain versus villain work this thing worked, worked perfectly
3: here. Because the crowd was into the story and it was almost like I I don't want to say comic relief because it's a good wrestling match as well. But there is this constant story of like these two arrogant guys don't want their faces messed up. And then you got Sherry at ringside. And then by the end, it turns into a full on like Looney Tunes thing with Sherry. So I think the crowd was super into it, even if there was no good guy to cheer,
1: you know. Right. but It was just it was an example of two master performers taking what was given to them and making it work and captivating 80,000 people and however many were at home watching, it was just fun to me. And sensational Sherry, man, she was the the icing on the cake of this matchup. Sean and, and Martel did their thing and they made it work. But if Sherry wasn't out there doing what she did, Man, I don't know if it would have worked. She's mortifying Vince with
3: her outfit. He goes, there's a a part of her outfit that's missing. Oh, oh my God, that's that's too bad. (laughs) Yeah, that's too bad. (laughs) That's too bad. (laughs) <laughs> just totally straight face like that's too
0: bad <laughs> i like that since we couldn't touch the face during this match at all that the entire the entirety of the match just became about everyone's rear end as well there's there's quite a few moments where that
2: happened. oh there are yeah it, it <laughs> was it was all and like every time they'd throw back to throw punch have to stop themselves they like look at each other like what are you gonna do what are you gonna do and it's I, I thought it was it was very well done and i
1: you know sensational sherry does she get enough love by a lot of people for how great she really was. Sherry is somebody who I have never had. I I unfortunately never had the pleasure of meeting, Um, but I challenge you to find a woman with more respect in the business than sensational Sherry. I know Booker T speaks a lot about her. You know, we get to hang out with Booker on pay-per-view days or whatever the stories he tells. She was a badass man. And she was a woman that had the guy's respect in an era where that was not easy. You know what I mean? She, we, we'd spend a lot of time talking about the trailblazers of our industry, and and deservedly so, your Trish Stratuses and your Litas and the women who really propelled particularly WWE's women's division to the heights that it's at. But the business as a whole, Sensational Sherry was truly a pioneer. Yeah, she, you take a look, and I bring this up
2: because she's with Sean Macho King at the time. You know, everyone she was with was
1: top level. She elevated everyone's game. She added to yep. everyone. And yeah, sometimes that meant taking on the personality of who she was. She was the macho queen or coming out sure. sort of dressed like Sean with the heart painted on her cheek. But it it worked. Sherry just just added that n- other dimension, that next level, to anybody that she was paired up with.
2: And that yeah. was a special little ingredient that you talked about, Graves, on this matchup was her on the outside fainting, fainting again, getting picked up, ran down the aisle, fainting, then
3: a bucket of water, and it was just like, Oh, man, this was awesome. She really broke out of that mold, especially back then when a lot of valets fit into that Miss Elizabeth mold. Like right. yeah. Sherry was something different completely. And again, based on what act she was with, she was kind of this chameleon and it always
1: worked. And, and, but, she all, but she somehow managed masterfully to play both sides of the coin because, yes, she was a woman. But, yes, she would also physically get involved regularly. And it was like, ooh, you, obviously the guys would tease it. You can't haul off and blast her. <laughs> but she wouldn't waste any time getting you. And it just it made you extra irritated because Sherry just would never get hers. You, you All you wanted was somebody. To, uh, and, and she never would, man. But, yeah, Sensational Sherry was absolutely awesome. And, and it, it holds up now. I think a lot of, of modern-day performers could probably cherry-pick a few things that Sherry did and, and really, you know, up their own game. Have we seen this sort of match since? No, and I don't think this is a match you can see. No, right? It that's was, what's cool about <laughs> it is it was uh, a everything's, storm. Dupli-
2: everything's duplicated. You you have another cage, another Hell in a Cell, another blindfold match, but you've never had another. You can't hit me in the face. Right, you, but, you know, it, it was it
1: was this it was <clears throat> a perfect storm of circumstance. You had the right two guys, Shawn Michaels and Martel. It fit their characters. It, it and not to mention they're both amazing in ring performers. It really. It was special because you had two guys who could make it work. You had Sherry there as, as the, like I said, the icing on the cake and it all fit together perfectly. You can't manufacture that. It just sort of organically, I guarantee it was a right place, right time. You couldn't all of a sudden say, hey, we're going to take this guy from raw and this guy from raw. We're going to do that. It's not going to work. It, it just was a perfect – like a, a, a take a snapshot of a point in time where it worked and you had the right guys involved, and it was great. It was but so yeah. much fun. And I feel like Martel is the
3: right guy for that because didn't he have that blindfold match with Jake at WrestleMania? Yeah. And yeah, that's very much one of the similar kind yeah. of gimmick, almost <clears throat> comedy matches, and Martel plays that so perfectly. So this match ends in a double countout, obviously. Can we
0: talk about the ending? Because the ending is just so ridiculous, but it was played perfectly because – Of the way Sean tries to carry Sherry, a fainted Sherry, back, and then you know, Martel comes and blasts him and and he drops her and then yeah, and he picks yeah. up Sherry oh. and carries him the right way. But we go through this song and dance for another like five
1: minutes. It and felt water forever. Comes out. It yes. felt like it was so long. The Dude, match had, is over. 11
2: mile entryway. Right? Yeah, but I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm just waiting for the next video package to start, you know, Hey, here's what's coming up next. And it just kept going and going and going and going and going. It was a lot of fun though. I I regret nothing. I like them acting
3: like the ultimate humiliation is getting some water on you. Right. Oh, she's humiliated! It's like, yeah. she's a water poured <laughs> on her. I don't know. It's not that bad. It was absolutely ridiculous. I loved it. And
0: maybe my favorite moment is uh, Vince McMahon dropping a Twin Peaks reference yes. in 1992
1: on commentary. My nostalgic
0: that? heart was so happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, this, also, this this event is is worth going out of your way just just even if you've seen it fifty thousand times, go back and watch Shawn Michaels versus Rick Martel again, and just. Be a fan. It's absurd. It's ludicrous. It would never work in 2021, but just enjoy it for what it was,
3: and it was great. And real quick, before the next match, they do a, a promo with the Nasty Boys and Sean Mooney backstage. And, oh, my God, watching these guys, the Nasty Boys are just the biggest buttheads you've ever seen <laughs> on wrestling. It's like, oh, these gross, nasty boys. They're, they're terrible. Doing, they're,
1: they're, doing like boys. An, yeah. they're doing like an Andrew
0: Dice Clay impression, too, <laughs> like the entire time.
1: <laughs> they just suck. suck. There are very few superstars throughout history that I can at least find some bright spot when I talk about. <laughs> and mind you, I've only met Brian Nobbs a handful of times in my days in FCW, and he was a sweetheart of a man. I hated everything the Nasty Boys ever did. <laughs> there is not a match that I can go back and go, oh, that was a really... Nasty Boys versus Road Warriors when with a motorcycle helmet. I just always vehemently despised... The Nasty Boys, whether it be in WWE, WCW, to this day, there's not one thing I want to watch about them on my TV. And I apologize. I've heard great stories. I know a lot of people have a yeah. ton of amazing stories about the Nasty Boys. And I take that back. I did, I did meet Jerry Sags briefly. Great guys. Super nice human beings. But just for me, I just could never, ever stand them. Should we move to another candy bar? Hey, Vic, I got an idea. Why don't you talk for a second so I can eat candy? <laughs>
0: It's your we show. Also, we also kind of hit a hit a bit of a lull in the show here in these next two, two matches. Yeah, so this is get, a good
2: time. Kinda, I will say this about the
0: previous match, the Sean-Rick
2: uh, Martell match. And this is looking through the entire card now, as Graves kind of talked about earlier with the uh, 2021 version of ourselves. It ends in a double countout, which there's another match that ends in a countout. And then there's still another match later that ends in a disqualification. So I think if this card was done today – there would be a lot more finishes on some of these matches. You'd have, de- you'd have decisive victors in these. So the one negative, I guess, if we're just trying to throw some loops into it, is I wish there would have been a, a definitive winner in the martell Shawn Michaels match. Because I don't remember them going back and continuing this rivalry after this to me it just ended right here uh, obviously i don't have the wrestle challenge and the other vhs's and WWE superstars and everything that came out but the next big pay-per-view would have been survivor series and i, and I
0: don't think it continues because of the bad guy bad guy persona so sean would win the intercontinental championship from baby boy yep. on saturday night's main event you know in october so that's you know a few months later um, but really, the story was about Sean and Sherry. It wasn't about Rick. You know what I mean? So the, the story of this kind of relationship deteriorating over if Sean actually really liked Sherry or if he liked himself more would play out through the end of the year, really. But yeah, it Rick was kind of out of this yeah, after this He was
2: pushed to the side. So I yeah. wish we would have had a definitive winner looking through the card with that new sense of 2021 on. But as a child, as a kid, as a fan of the industry, I thought it was so cool, which moved us into the very next match which was the
1: first championship match of the Night Graves the tag team titles on the line and Alex you mentioned that we were about to enter a bit of a lull and I'm going to disagree <laughs> with you done. I'm going to well, disagree with you because this is you're right actually this is yes. this is something else that looking at this event differently as today's Corey Graves with what I know and what I appreciate and what I love about the business now versus being an 8-year-old child as a kid I despised Earthquake. Worse than the Nasty Boys, because Earthquake, my first memory of him was him attacking Hulk Hogan. And as a little Hulkamaniac, that was just an unforgivable sin. So I just more or less wrote off Earthquake. I didn't like the natural disasters. I didn't even really have an opinion on Typhoon because he was Tugboat, and I remember kind of liking Tugboat, but I didn't really feel strongly about one way or another. Over the recent years, I have been reminded how amazing Earthquake was. John Tenta, was one of the best big men this business has ever seen. He didn't look particularly cool. He had the receding hairline, sort of skulllet hairdo. He, he wasn't impressive looking from a physical standpoint. I didn't I didn't realize when I was a kid that he was like six foot seven or six foot eight and he had, you know, had a sumo background. But watching the way both he and Typhoon move and how impressive they are, knowing now, having stood beside human beings who are that size or, or in that neighborhood, how impressive it is that they were able to move the way they were. Earthquake regularly threw a great drop kick. That's amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing.
2: I think he's a very underappreciated performer, and I'm glad you brought that up because there's something I was going to touch on. Because I do remember, too, as, as you brought up, Earthquake and taking on Hulk Hogan and, and the matches that they had. And he just came out in a blue singlet. And then later on, they put Earthquake on it, and his music wasn't you know great, and his finisher was devastating. But when you watch him and you think back now, you and I always talk about the big man, the, the, the bringing the big man back. Earthquake was a very underappreciated big man by all
3: of us during his time. I feel like whenever you talk about the big man that can move, uh, the go-to is always Bam Bam. But right. I really do think that Tenta should have been in this conversation, too. I
1: agree. And, and and I think Tenta
3: was bigger than Bam Bam. Yeah. And wasn't it crazy, too, that like Tenta was around during the the hottest period of the industry in the Attitude Era under a mask? And I don't think they ever acknowledged that Golga was Earthquake. Right. No. They right. Really never did.
1: Yeah. It's a good point. Wow, that's really a good point. Yeah, it, it was definitely an under underappreciated gem in the in the annals of WWE history. It was, it was Earthquake or even in WCW, The Shark or whatever you opt to call him, Big John Tenta, man. The dude was unbelievable. But on the other side of the ring, a team that I, I to this day, remember vividly, and I couldn't tell you why. I love the Beverly Brothers. Oh, uh, for them. what reason? Yeah, I don't know. And I'm watching <laughs> this match and I'm going... I don't even know what they're supposed to be. And they've got the genius with them. And I can't stand him. Hell of a poem at the top there. (laughs) (laughs) Bowen Blake Blake Beverly in the purple from Shaker Heights, Ohio. The music, I don't know. And I, I could sit here for three hours and not come up with one valid reason as to what it was about those guys that I liked. But I thought they were cool for some reason. Watching this may have taken a little bit of shine off of the Beverly <laughs> brothers for me. But it's, I remember as a kid being like, wow, these guys are pretty cool.
3: They feel like a throwback to like the territory day, kind of like a uh, fabulous ones or the Fantastics, just the kind of like vaguely fancy guys that come out in the capes, and glittery jackets. And yeah, but yeah, and I never quite got it with them.
1: They had a little bit of a little modicum of success in WCW as Wayne bloom and Mike Enos, Mike right. Enos infamously in the ring when Scott Hall arrives for right. the beginning of the NWO, um, Not a lot of great Beverly Brothers matches to, you know, draw from. Well, this match was great if you're a big fan of smushing-based offense.
3: A lot of (laughs) two big guys just kind of smashing you. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing better than,
2: you know, I'm thinking of a funny story. I don't know if I want to say it. So you bring up Shaker Heights, Ohio. So Cal Bloom is Bo's son. Cal is in NXT and development. And I went up to him, I go, hey, man, did you ever find anything to do fun in Shaker Heights, Ohio? He's like, bro, I've never even been to Ohio. And it threw me off, and I was like, oh, I got, got suckered into the whole thing because I was like, oh, these guys are from Ohio. Nope, nope, never were. Never were. Suckered me right in. That's the lowest point of one of my darkest days with uh, Cal Bloom on that day with the Beverly Brothers. But
1: I'm going to ask anybody listening, any of the ATB faithful, if you can actually explain to me, sorry, I'm eating the rest of my score bar. I apologize for eating it Yeah, it's ears. funny as you're eating because you're spitting out of your mouth. <laughs> what? I'm just trying to throw you off. <laughs> If anybody listening to ATB can explain to me what the Beverly brothers were supposed to be, I will happily listen. I am all ears. I've tried to devise a few theories. I can't. Where did they say the genius went to school? Was it Harvard or Oxford
0: or something like that? Like, I'm guessing they were like, you know, under his tutelage at at some sort of. They're like (laughs) frat brothers? Not necessarily frat brothers, but just like, you know. academics (laughs) Academics, <laughs> is that what they were? Were they? I, that's academics? my guess. I, I I guess I don't know why else you would have a guy. I, I
1: I genuinely don't know why else would you have a guy
0: in a cap and gown like like he's yeah. at graduation.
1: He just graduated, <laughs> but but it's yeah. it's a stark contrast because that's another thought that I had as as much as it was about grandeur and spectacle throughout the entire event. Everybody on the card, with the exception of the Beverly Brothers, was easily defined from the minute you saw Money Inc to the road warriors, to Shawn Michaels, to the model, you knew who they were. Even if you weren't an avid fan, you knew what this person was about at first glance. Everybody looked like they were from outer space. Everybody looked unique and different. And and again, I understand the business has changed and some of it was a little hokey. Some of it was gimmicky. But to me if i was just watching sports entertainment for the first time ever and i'm seeing all these people i at least have an idea of oh this guy obviously this guy's from prison he just got out of prison these guys are giants and these guys are and these guys are the beverly brothers you don't know but but everybody was so defined and larger than life and the colors and it truly was spectacular everybody stood out in their own unique way I feel like you could spot
3: any of their action figures from across the room with your eyes crossed and be like, oh, that's a blank action figure. Like everyone had that look, you know? And let's call it what it is, too. The, you know, natural
0: disasters. It's not like they. this is some, like, magical championship reign that's going to remember, be remembered in the annals of history. But they got a huge pop when they yeah. came out. Like, and I've, I've,
1: I've very, I I I very. almost didn't remember them being good guys at any point. I, or I've tag always, team champions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For that matter, you're right. But, but that, I think that just kind of speaks to the human being's fascination with larger than life humans I and mean, those are two big gigantic i have had the opportunity to meet typhoon a, a handful of times uh can we can we put it out there can we let's put it out there for the wwe oh, universe i, yeah, I know where you're here, he going won't okay you guys all know uh, Vic, i know you know that yep. our uh, our timekeeper our our bell ringer in wwe is none other than the son of typhoon awesome our, our good friend, Berkeley. Shout out to Berkeley. I think he listens once in a while. If nothing else, those will get him ribbed mercilessly. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but the typhoon's legacy in WWE carries on in the form of our timekeeper to this very day. But I do have a question about the Beverly Brothers, though, Graves. We talk about the genius. I got an idea. What happened How much to the coach? Ask your questions while we're on the subject of what you about, <laughs> Because have a you guys about, kept Vic. talking. <laughs> what about the coach? What happened what to him? What about the coach? John Tolos? The Golden Greek, one of the greatest superstars.
2: That's what I'm just thinking right now. I was like, wait a minute. They didn't have the genius. The genius, they also had coach. Yeah, John Tolos. How did that even come? I'm really. I'm willing to. Labragast on what the
1: Beverly brothers are right now. To your point. Vic, why don't you find another candy bar and just okay. stuff it in your I'll face take that. and I'm let Dan and Alex and I handle all the heavy lifting.
0: It literally just says they they debuted in ninety May of ninety one. They were originally managed by coach John Tolos but then by the genius. That's that's basically all it is. Yeah,
1: they I'm looking at my change. notes and it it actually says in all caps huge reaction for the natural disasters. I yes. was really blown away by how, how much the fans in Wembley dug Earthquake and Typhoon. But let's uh, be honest, this match could have been five minutes shorter. Please 100%. I mean let's be honest. Come on. But back to uh, the point of everything feeling big. Right. It was a tag team championship match. There was pomp and circumstance. And it it felt like a title fight in any sport, in boxing, in MMA. It just stood alone because there there it was time. Everything was just very clean. All the focus was on one story, one thing happening at that time. It felt big. So, you know, Tinta was like 29 during this. Oh. Yeah. I mean, he was only in his 40s, I believe, when he passed. I think so, yeah. Terribly unfortunate. Terribly unfortunate. Candy bar? Can we do a candy bar? Thank you. Let's do a candy bar. Uh, I'm going to go with the whatchamacallit now. Yeah, that seems like a good idea. Because it feels apropos, and forgive me, because I don't have the entire rundown. Only my notes I took while watching. The next note I have after the reaction for the natural disasters was simply Repo Man. (laughs) Yeah. Well, why well, was hold he on. always sneaking around he wasn't a spy <laughs> like you don't have to sneak in to take
3: someone's car if you're repossessing be- it <laughs> before we dive into repo man uh right after
0: the natural disasters and the beverly brothers we were backstage with gene oakland interviewing the bushwhackers who cut a promo on i still do not know what to this day does anybody have any idea what they
3: were talking about no but i was laughing the entire time it's they so can just absurd. yell nonsense and just gesticulate wildly and i will just be laughing the entire time
1: has there ever been anyone in history who made a 180 character change like the bushwhackers because i remember being a child going with my dad to see an nwa live event and seeing the sheep herders with johnny ace waving the the new zealand flag on the outside of the ring and i was horrified of these guys i was terrified there was gore and these guys were scary And then they come to WWE and they're the Bushwhackers and I never liked them again. Really? I I loved them as a kid. I jumped so far off the Bushwhackers bandwagon. I, I, I can't even, I can't ever even think about it.
3: See, I was introduced to them as the wacky, like, we're going to lick your face, bushwhacker. So
1: that's what I was used to. This so it wasn't until I went back and I was
3: like, oh, my God, they used to be like, This probably ass. has
1: something to do with my mild OCD because the concept of having another grown man lick my face. Sure. <laughs> especially someone that I don't really know. Like, I'm at a wrestling show just trying to have fun with my dad and one of these psychos licks my face. I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I don't want right, that. What's worse,
3: though? What's worse? Uh, the, the face lick or the nasty boy's armpit thing? Oh. I feel like the
1: face licks worse. Yeah, I, I would so probably too, go with
3: the face lick, yeah. I I mean. I would take the face like. I think, before the, I mean, again, it's Pity the Nasty City? Boys. You got to remember the armpit, like, that it belongs to. Like, that's rough.
1: <faster we're up. laughs> uh. To the best of my recollection, the Nasty Boys did utilize Pity City, and in theory, it would be really gross. But I think I'm right in saying at least the Nasty Boys shaved their underarms. So at least it was somewhat manicured under there. That's true. When Nobs would would pick it up and it would be, I don't know, somewhat less disgusting. I can't believe this is a conversation I'm having <laughs> as a grown man on a WWE <laughs> podcast. Uh, well, it's in
2: interesting because the Bushwhackers took on the Nasty Boys at that event. It was a dark match that was never put on the VHS. Oh, there you go. A Jim Duggan
0: and the Bushwhackers versus the Mountie and the Nasty Boys. And then before we go back to the ring for Crush and Repo Man, we also get uh, the second part of uh, Lord Alfred Hayes' worst investigative reporting I've mm-hmm. ever seen in my life, trying to find <laughs> out who uh, Mr. Perfect, which corner he will be in. <laughs> Earlier in the show... He did it go- so elegantly, though, Alex. Earlier in the show, he goes up to Macho Man's dressing room. It's locked. Oh, well. Then this in this part, he goes up to Ultimate Warrior's dressing room, tries to open it. It's closed in his face, and then another, oh, well,
3: <laughs> and then
1: back to yeah. the ring.
3: <laughs> woodward and bernstein here lord yeah, Alfred Hayes. okay
1: so i've done i've, I've looked at the uh, way Utah. whatchamacallit's pretty good actually yeah not I've, bad. i've had a whatchamacallit i remember the commercials for whatchamacallit when i was a kid you would there was a candy bar you'd had to throw under a door there was like some sort of monster behind the closet and they had to feed it a whatchamacallit i don't know why Are i think those, i'd only had the halloween
3: size ones before this is my first full-size one and this is pretty solid i think yeah for those is this better than the score I think the score is still number yeah, one. I think still score is still,
1: still reigning supreme mm-hmm. over Whatchamacallit. Whatchamacallit's solid. I'm going to eat all these before I go to the gym, so I'm all jacked up nice. on sugar, which will hopefully benefit me in some capacity. Uh, for those listening, a Whatchamacallit is chocolate, peanut-flavored crisps, and caramel. Pretty good. It is quite nice. And I know you all listening in the U.K. have a much better selection of candy bars. The Aero Bar, to me, still those the king great. of all candy bars. But I digress. Let's talk more about Repo Man. Repo Man did battle with crush this is early stage Kona crush purple orange yellow blonde mullet big jacked up Brian Adams Brian Adams correct Brian Clark was I always have to, the, the, the chronic guys there I always yes, get I, mixed I up. always forget uh yes Brian Adams the the Hawaiian ass kicker by the same name <laughs> of the Canadian uh you know singer uh, Vic you're not you lit up when I started referencing Brian Adams, the singer, and you didn't say anything.
2: Because <laughs> I'm just laughing that we're actually talking about Brian Adams, the singer, because I started thinking of South Park. And Oh, yes, we apologize for Brian Adams on many different occasions, Terrence and Phillips. Summer did, 69 he did is a good song.
1: You. Yeah, that is uh, a good song.
2: I do want to talk about Repo Man since you guys talked about how, yeah. why does he have to like walk around and, and yeah, why was he so sneaky? What about his attire that looks like a car ran over him multiple times? Like, that's not <laughs> a very good <laughs> Repo uh, Man. He He's oh, ran right over.
1: <laughs> okay, listen, listen, I'm going to put an end to this right now. Okay, Because I've heard that question asked for years. Why did Repo Man look like he had been run over by a vehicle? There was a show relatively recently on one of the networks, a reality show based on repossessions, vehicles in particular. And generally, someone would kind of hide out in the vicinity of the vehicle that they were there to repossess. But 99% of the time, as they were hooking it up to their tow truck, Somebody would come running out of the house or jump in the vehicle and try to drive off. So the risk for being run over as a repo man is probably higher than just about any career path you can find. So I didn't realize this at the time. I am just as guilty of asking the question. But as I've grown and I've learned, repo man's attire might have been the most logical Of any WWE superstar of that era, was this happening before
3: every match he ever had, or is yeah, it like he he just number one? Why did he gear? wear a mask? Also, okay, if the attire makes sense, why does he have a mask? Because he's got to
1: be low key. Because if I go, hey, I'm here to. You, there, there's rules to repossession. Not there's spies. laws. <laughs> <laughs> You, but you have to be covert at
2: times. He looked the like repo a bandit man from a Christmas story. Yeah, the yeah, repo brother. man yeah.
1: in real life does not come and knock on your door and say, "Hi, Vic, I'm here to take your car because you haven't made a payment." In but nine a repo months.
2: man doesn't wear a Halloween mask and walk up to the car and do it. They walk out. They try to do it. They hook it up. They leave.
1: You know what happens if what a happens, real repo Graves? man what is, is, a, is a WWE character? What happens? Up looking like IRS or nails? Okay, that's how. If you want realism. Listen, just take the, the the role. Repo Man had to pay his bills, okay? So when he wasn't competing in WWE, <laughs> he was trying to repossess vehicles with delinquent payments. You're really well, passionate about this, I aren't am, you? I am sick to death of people disparaging Repo Man and Barry Darso. And you know what? It did pay the bills for him because he was able to retire and
3: become a golfer in WCW. Amen. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Dan. Thank well, you. You. Are, you are
2: hopped up on a score on you whatchamacallit, and we, only, we have like two more candy bars to go. I can't wait till we get to the main event
0: at this point. Repo Man looked like he was out of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Like,
2: yes, yeah,
1: kind of
0: like, <laughs>
2: Thank just a you, villainous
1: Alex. Villainous guy sneaking around. I'm curious to see the feedback on my explanation because I feel as though the ATB faithful will all simultaneously go... Phew oh my god that makes so much more sense now it
2: actually kind of did and that's why i was really angry with myself like yeah they kind of do get ran over don't they they do run away with the cars but still it's ridiculous back to
1: dance why is he wearing a mask he wasn't a great repo man he just was a repo man
3: how did they never have him feud with thurman sparky plug and get run over by one of his (gasps) thurman sparky plug (laughs) paid his
1: bills
3: (laughs) that's true that's true
2: Save it for a future episode where we rebook
0: some of that area, you know, during that that time as well. <laughs> Do you think the repo man translated to the uh, UK crowd at all, or did, were they just kind of like, "Oh, crush I, I mean, just going to kill this guy"?
1: <laughs> I'm sure there are people with bad credit in the UK as well. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> but did they have skid marks on their clothing and a, and a mask over their eyes in the UK? <laughs> Listen, it all makes sense now. Just, 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 just. Alex, I'm except, glad we're on the same page here. Except, Thank my. Okay justification of repo man's outfit and the world will be a better place for it. Okay. It was in the UK. The the tire tracks would have been on the left side. Right. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Enough about the repo, man. Let's talk about what came up next. WWE championship match title on the line, a rematch from what might be my favorite match of all time. I think I've said that numerous times. WrestleMania seven warrior savage career threatening match. Uh, my favorite of all time. I forgot this match happened at SummerSlam. I forgot the rematch took place at this massive event. No, the original one was the one where he drops like seven elbows, right? Five, yes. Five. Five okay. elbows, warrior yeah. kicks out, shoulder tackles him out of the ring, pins him, Elizabeth. Right. I still cry. This one, not quite the same.
0: No, we talk
2: about gear, by the way. How about the Ultimate Warriors gear on that night? Ooh. It was
1: Awesome.
3: How stupid over is Warrior in 92? My my goodness gracious. It's unbelievable. The the gear, you know, everyone talks about the Giant Gonzalez skin suit. But, like, there was the, in the video package, there's the skin suit with Warrior. But then for the match, it's, like, the meat suit. And I kept trying to read what was on the back. I couldn't tell if it said, like, something about meat. And I kept trying to, like, pause it and see what it was. And I couldn't quite figure it out.
2: Yeah, but it it wasn't, Graves, to
3: your point, though, it,
2: it didn't live up to the first one. You know, this is the big rematch. This is, hey, this is two. And it fell short. And I would dare I say it fell way
1: short of even the emotional tie-in. And I think the match itself was great. And it gave me a new appreciation, even more so than I already had, for how amazingly talented Randy Savage was. I mean, let's be perfectly honest. Macho Man made that match work. Non-stop motion from bell to bell. Savage just at the absolute top of his game. Warrior held up his end of the stick to me there was just too much nonsense happening you've got the sub story about uh, mr perfect and rick flair and whose side is who on and who's going to betray who and it just to me added this there was too much it was too much It was too much even just in the match, but for it to be this through
3: line for the entire show, like they're constantly, even like Heenan on commentary during other matches is like trying to build to this mystery that just never quite pays off. And Vince holds Heenan's feet to the fire before this match
0: even starts. There's like an on-cam where they're behind the commentary desk and he's like, you know, don't you, you know who it is? And Heenan's like, I don't know. And it's like, it's a whole thing. The match starts really strong in the sense that like the stare down and the handshake and all that stuff, like we were like almost teetering on like Hogan rock levels of just like, these people are going crazy and they haven't even touched each other yet.
1: And then it just kind of never really recovered from that. Yeah. And to me, it was just, there was just too much happening. The first one was so simple. These two can't stand each other. One of them has got to leave this town. Ain't big enough for both of us. Easy story. This one, just too many layers, too much happening for me, particularly all these years later where I don't remember, maybe at the time the story was much more vivid. And if you watched, Every week on Superstars, you would go, oh, this is why this. I'm sure there was a lot of nuance. I'm just saying of all the things on the show, that story didn't hold up for me all these years later.
2: Do you think, guys, that this also is like a mirror of what we saw earlier in the night with Rick Martell and Shawn Michaels, where you're wondering where loyalties lie and what's going to happen, and it ends in a count out. And, you know, it, it seemed to me that it was a lot of the same. Back to you saying that, all of you saying that the story didn't really pay off. You know, there wasn't a clear-cut, you know, definitive stamp
0: on this matchup. Yeah, there was no real allegiance from Mr. Perfect. Like, right. you know, he trips Randy Savage, and and it's like, oh, he's, a you know, Ultimate Warrior. They keep saying, Warrior paid him off, Warrior paid him off. And then he goes in and he attacks Warrior behind the ref, and then, oh, well, who is he really behind? You know, and then the match is over, and then you get this this backstage with with uh mr perfect and rick flair and you still kind of really don't know they keep talking about a plan b and this was always the plan b and flair was the one who should have had the title shot not ultimate warrior and you just kind of leaving you're just kind of left scratch at your head a little bit
3: I, I did love in the backstage though when uh perfect calls mean Gene, divot head yeah <laughs> that was good <laughs> <I'm not>
2: now <laughs> sorry i choked myself uh after this match so for the definitive alex that we're talking about doesn't Survivor Series, doesn't Savage team with Mr. Perfect? But they never really tie it back into this, do they? I, no, I'm pretty sure sucks. this is uh, the Ultimate Warrior and Savage are supposed to team, and instead it ends up becoming Randy Savage teaming with
0: Mr. Perfect to take on Ric Flair and Razor Ramon at Survivor right. Series. So Randy Savage would would continue to you know deal with the injured leg, and then uh, he actually lost the title uh, to Ric Flair uh, at a live event in Hershey, PA in September, and then, uh, uh, basically, after that, you're right. The, 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 that basically started the storyline between Savage and and Razor Ramon. Um, you're right. There's just kind of nothing. It, so it goes it, back it, to what it, it Graves just kinda, was talking
2: right, about. Like right. it just was too much in a period of of twenty minutes or however long the match was. That it just took away from. What could have been a mega mega championship
0: match there with everybody around them? And don't forget, Warrior leaves like pretty soon after this
1: too. So like it, they're just it, oh, it never okay. really tied back in together. Well, from Warrior and Savage for the WWE Championship to the emergence of the Dead Man, the Undertaker one on one with the Ugandan giant Kamala. Is Kamala one of the greatest gimmicks of all time? Yes, hands down, hundred percent awesome. I think just the ability to strike fear, granted, you would never hold up this day and age, but that Kim Chi or whomever was pulling the reins at the time had found this, this savage warrior in the depths of the jungle and brought him to WWE to just wreak havoc on everybody. Really, really cool. Like, And he's another one. Kamala's another one that I didn't appreciate until now the agility of a dude that size. I mean, I believe he was six, seven, 6'8", six, in there, you know, with, with Taker. Kamala was pretty
3: awesome. Well, and how effective is it, too, when uh, a guy as scary as Kamala sells fear when, like, Taker does a sit-up or whatever, and you see Kamala just like, oh, no, oh, like, oh, yes. man, if that
1: guy is scared of Undertaker, then that's a scary dude. Yep, no doubt about it. And if, This wasn't a technical masterpiece, as you might no. expect. <laughs> it, was, it was quintessential Taker, two big behemoths doing what they had to do, throwing each other into a casket uh anything particular stand out to you guys just well, the
2: undertaker's entrance yes i mean just the going back to awesome. what you talked about graves at the start of this the 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 whole aura of this event when he's coming out and there's even some smoke behind them and now the sun has set on yes. the stadium and it's like whoa this is awesome and
0: that's what stands out the most from that match was just the entrance Do you guys have, like, a favorite era of, like, the presentation of Undertaker? Like, because I think this early 90s gray gloves, like, hearse, everything's about a coffin, the urn, the whole thing. Like, this is
3: my favorite Undertaker. I think, like, Yoko, Casket Match, Rumble 94, like, around the the purple glove, and then SummerSlam with the the gray glove and everything. I I love that era. I might be
1: in the minority here, but I'm going to go Ministry of Darkness, Ooh, satanic overlord, yeah. Undertaker. Because to me, that's when he sort of became less of a cartoon character. And I was like, I could see that guy being real. And you know I, what? Yeah, you know yes, He was about? still doing magic, but for some reason it was when when Taker did that, that I was like, all right, there's there's some weird dudes in this world. Like it, it kind of became more menacing and more real to me. I think that's just a television, but that eh, could be a little bit
2: real
3: right there i can see myself following and you know know, so yeah that's actually a great point something people don't talk about about that era is like obviously taker's classic theme is like an all-timer but that ministry of darkness era one from WWE the music volume three yes that one that starts with that guitar yes that one's awesome yeah it's very i love that one all right
0: the I, I think something that spoke to just like what they had in Undertaker at this point in time was you could they were showing aerial shots of the Hearse coming down the aisle. And if you looked deep in the crowd, you could see fans sprinting from the from the alleyways, coming from like where the concessions were, sprinting back to their seats because they wanted to catch a glimpse of Undertaker coming to the ring. And it was like, I think in that moment you're just kind of like, whoa, like we really have something here with this the
1: phenom, for lack of a better word. Once again, what you just described, Alex pageantry and spectacle that's the theme of the night to me that was my takeaway and like I said the boss said at the beginning of the show you're in for this we're witnessing the pageantry and the spectacle and it's still held up throughout the card because again Undertaker's always awesome how can we make Undertaker more awesome put him on the back of a hearse and you have him creep down to the ring and then you have this battle and it's on to the next man it was such a, so much fun and of course we have finally arrived at the match that this event is known for to this very day. So let's, uh, yeah, let's let's candy up here for what one What'd you file. grab? I grabbed the Fifth Avenue. Ah, yeah. I did too. Fifth Avenue. All right. That's my last one I got here. They're I've playing. never well, had one of these. Growing up in Pittsburgh, there used to be a massive Fifth Avenue sign on the oh, side of Mount wow. Washington. Uh, and I, But to be fair, I, this has never been one of my favorites. I don't oh, know. wow. Well, it's kind of like a Butterfinger. It's kind of like a Clark Bar. I'm surprised no one ever mentioned Clark Bar yeah, Maybe Clark's on social media. Had. Maybe we had a Clark Bar on Clark the side. Clark Bar was like a red wrapper. Yeah, yeah, I know. It, it might have been... It's the same thing, basically. It's yeah. awesome. I think I this, think Fifth Avenue might have just come up from behind and taken the lead. Yeah. This is very similar to a Butterfinger, but still different in a way.
3: It's, it's better like than a, a butterfinger. butterfinger. It's like a chocolatey inside rather than the like Butterfinger toffee. It's a little bit more flaky, Alex. Sticking, is a little bit more
1: solid. It's not sticking
3: into my teeth. I got to say, this is probably the least of mine. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. Really. I'm not a huge chocolate guy, so like... I wanted to be dressed up with like toffee and other stuff, peanuts. And this feels too chocolatey for me. Wow. All right. This is this is number one for me so far. Oh, this
1: is score. I think I think we might have a a little Fifth Avenue resurgence on our hands. I'm I'm here
0: for it. Before we get into the main event, another great uh, Heenan line uh, was in that Undertaker Kamala match where uh, Kamala's in the ring and Undertaker's entering the ring, and Heenan just goes, "He's going to put the Undertaker in a pot and cook him." (laughs) Was his (laughs) was his. Explanation for how he would win the match that night. <laughs> I
3: think that's a DQ oh
2: as well. I think I you mean, do that is. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, that ends
2: in a disqualification, which again we talked about earlier. And also but before the main event match happens, there is another match. Tatanka and the Berserker. But it does not air on the DVD or the VHS. That was just for the live audience there. So that's kind of a
0: a little fun little fact and yeah there was quite in, a bit of uh there's quite a bit of like backstage stuff and kind of like video packages that were retelling the story of of of, of bulldog and
1: brett here so i think that's probably when that match was so place. you you kind of you kind of took me exactly where i wanted to go alex i'm going to talk about the video packages throughout the night adding to the pageantry and spectacle and the reason everything felt big was there generally to this day before a match there will be at least a video package or some b-roll explaining how we got there this is 1992, the technology has changed. We were watching just full screen clips of what happened on <laughs> Superstars, just kind of cobbled together. And there were a few times where I'm like, oh my God, can we just get to the match? The, the, the video package prior to Savage and Warrior felt like it was 23 minutes long and just showed everything that the two of them had ever done. So hats off to our production team for growing and evolving to what it is now. But as we prepared for the main event, to me, the, the, the video packages and the backstory is what made this match.
0: Time travel to fun in the 16th century at the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Ten stages, food, pubs, shopping, jousting. Saturday, Sundays, and Labor Day Monday through October 24th. For tickets, visit MarylandRenaissanceFestival.com. Save big on admission through September 12th.
1: So we come out of the backstory video packages the interviews with Brett, with Bulldog, with Diana, who to me was sort of the glue that tied this entire story together, made it all the more legit. Uh, and it, this is Uh the, the Intercontinental Championship is headlining SummerSlam. Has it ever happened since? Has the Inter- Intercontinental Championship main evented one of the big four main event pay-per-views? I'm trying to think of like any pay-per-view. Like yeah, I'm sure seriously. it's happened, but like definitely not big
2: four I can think of. And certainly not at that time. You know what right. I mean? Like it, at that time, that's huge. I don't, I don't believe so. I think you could throw it in graves. I'm sure there's been a time. Cause I think we talked about it where it was like Austin and triple H versus maybe undertaker and Kane or somebody and the tag team titles were on the line. And it was also the WWE and the intercontinental championship sure. in a winner take all situation, but the intercontinental title on its own, I don't
1: recall. I think too, it speaks to the, to the level that Bret Hart was operating on. At that time, as the Intercontinental Champion, and the work Brett did to make the Intercontinental Championship so relevant again, obviously, the British Bulldog in London, in Wembley Stadium, the hometown hero, it seems that this was custom made, and man, I hate to use this word when it pertains to anything sports entertainment, this match was perfect.
3: Yeah, I mean, even the the reaction when he comes out, it's up there with, like, you know, the Heart Foundation coming out at Canadian Stampede, just the mm-hmm. hometown hero thing, and it's
1: just it's so, with, so cool to see. By the way, Lennox Lewis waving the flag so for cool. the British Bulldog, and they introduced him as, I believe he was just British heavyweight champion at the time. Lennox Lewis wasn't even the world champion yet. And yeah, he it was, was like some here. Commonwealth something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I I, remember, I didn't remember that at all, and you could see, see it on his face. Lennox Lewis is, is a kid at this point. But I'm like, man, what a weird collision of worlds with Lennox Lewis is waving the flag for the British Bulldog. And then Lennox would go on to be Lennox freaking Lewis.
0: -Lewis. And then, of course, Heenan,
3: as great as he is, going, who is this? Joe Lewis? Like, just completely (laughs) crapping all over it. It was awesome. But you got Piper playing with the Highlanders and everything. Like, just what an entrance.
0: By the way, really quick before we get any deeper, Sean just came in with a note. Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler. For the IC title, Extreme Rules 2018 was a, was an IC title main event. So
3: you know, may I was have wondering, been the last since okay. 92. There was that era when, like, you know, Brock had the, the world title for, like, a long, long period but didn't do every pay-per-view necessarily. I thought there might have been one in there. So that But early
0: 90s, and, and you said Unheard it, Graves. Early 90s, like, you – Brett did so much good work with the IC title that it could main event a show like this. But also it had to do with, t- with two things. Two years earlier, you had – Uh, Warrior versus Hogan main eventing WrestleMania title for title that really put the IC title in a a, on a plane that it hadn't been before. And just the hometown guy story of British Bulldog they were telling here. There's no way that couldn't have main evented because any reaction would not trump what would happen in that match. So
3: you, you had to put it last. There was no, there was no choice. And also to give, you know, Brett so much credit too, is that he makes it feel so authentic. And so like, he seems to care so much, you know, kissing the belt and everything. Like this match means everything to him, his family, like Brett just had that authenticity about him from the second he
1: came out. And again, it was just—it was a perfect storm of everything. You've got Bret Hart, arguably the best in-ring competitor of all time. You've got the British Bulldog, who could more than hold his own. Uh, Bret's spoken about this match in his book, and anytime he's done an interview, I, th- I believe it is one of, if not, Bret's favorite match of his career. There's no, no justice that I can do it. Just watch the match. If you like sports entertainment, watch the match. It is beautiful. It is storytelling of the highest level. The action is incredible. Brett does what he does, and and I mean, I, I don't think I'm remiss saying, leads Davey to the greatest match of Davey's career. The emotion is real. Wembley Stadium is absolutely rocking. I wouldn't For the have entire anything, match. Really, for the, the entire thing, match. It, 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 it was just, it's beautiful. It, it, it Maybe not perfect. To me, it is beautiful.
2: And it ties back in, Graves, to something that we all have talked about since the start of the show, time. They were given time. They didn't rush anything. They had an opportunity to create on this blank canvas a masterpiece, and they did. And they didn't do it with flips and and corkscrew moonsaults and things that didn't matter. Everything meant
3: something in that main event match. Well, and you think it's going to be this simple story of technique versus power, but as the match goes on, like Bulldog is more than holding his own on like the technique end of things too. Yeah, and talk about, you know, the the simplicity of it and making things
0: mean something. The focal point of, like, 15 minutes of this 25-minute masterpiece is literally a headlock. That's ah. the majority of the middle of this match.
1: Everything about the pacing of this match, the storytelling, it was slow, it was methodical, and it let everybody understand and digest what was happening. The two guys in the ring were telling the story, and the world was watching and listening and feeling what they were doing. It was expertly done. It was magical. And it was
2: two guys that go on to have these careers. And at the end, the moment, British Bulldog obviously wins. He holds the title. His only, or at that point, was his trademark victory in the WWE. And Brett has to look at him, and they have that family moment that kind of ties everything back together there and it back to the end of the show, the fireworks and everything
0: that happened.
1: It was absolutely perfect way to close out the night. I
0: have watched this match so many times, but I don't know if you guys find this happening to you too when you watch it back. The The ending still, no matter how many times I see it, the, the, the three count always kind of takes me by surprise. Like, I feel like I don't really, like I know it's going to happen just because I've seen it so many times, but it's seemingly in the sequence of events that was happening in the match at that time, it kind of comes out of nowhere for, for a little bit. I love that, though. I love It's just that sunset flip, and you yep. see that moment where Bulldog's it's like, wait a minute, I can just do this. Yep. Like,
2: it's perfect. And that kind of goes to also, if you think about WrestleMania ten, when Owen beat Bret, kind of the same type of thing happens, yeah. right? You and know, it gives that it that
1: anything-can-happen vibe, man. It makes it legit. It makes it credible. It, it gives it a reason for trying a pinfall in the middle of a match when you're not setting it up with your finishing move. Novel concept. Anyway, my big takeaway from SummerSlam 1992 was this. I've said it throughout this podcast, much as Vince said it throughout the event. Pageantry and spectacle. I think we do it now at a higher level than we've ever done. But back then, I think that's what led this to being such a memorable pay-per-view. Was it was a another level. It was almost WrestleMania-level excitement and pageantry, which made this whole event from start to finish feel different. Also, by the way, really want to go to the UK for a pay-per-view.
2: Oh, that's yeah, a hundred percent. I've had the opportunity to do NXT UK there and Royal Albert Hall, and the list goes on. It is an amazing atmosphere, uh, Graves. And I know you've been to Europe way more than I have. Sure. It's a different vibe. It, it truly is. It's a different vibe. For me, what I took away from this event is it stands the test of time. No matter wh- where, what year we're in, no matter what era we're in, you can go back and watch this event and it has something for everybody whether it's that technician classic match that we saw in the main event or it's the can't punch me in the face type match or if it's just two badasses like lod coming to the ring and doing what they want to do and just beat the holy hell out of whoever's in the ring with them it has something for everyone from start to finish it stands the test of time
1: because great storytelling no matter what the story is timeless
3: and even the ones that like didn't have the perfect finishes, they're still memorable. Again, right. like you know, Sean versus Martel was a double countout, but it was still a very memorable, enjoyable match, and absolutely. a memorable finish because it was just absolutely
0: <laughs> ridiculous.
3: <laughs> Twenty <laughs> minutes of carrying. It's still
1: going on, actually. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> this was a fun homework assignment. I agree. I think we have one last order of business before uh, we call it a day, and I think we, we're going to need a choice, guys. Most underrated candy bars. Take it around the uh, take it around the loop, Alex. I'm starting with you. What's your pick, man? You know, as we were eating it there, I was kind of leading, leaning Fifth Avenue just because I
0: was taken by surprise at actually how good it was. But I got to stay with the classic. I love the toffee so much. The, the score wins for me. That's my there pick you go. for today. There you go. Dan? I'm a convert. Score. Nice. Pick Fifth Avenue. I forgot how delicious
2: and, and, and great it is. I will stay with the Fifth Avenue.
1: I, too, Alex, was pleasantly surprised by being reminded of how delicious a Fifth Avenue bar is. But I'm sticking with score. Your winner and new underrated chocolate bar heavyweight champion of the world, the score bar. Yep. I got well, a
2: challenge for you, Graves. What, Vic? Go find one of these. This was my special candy that I was able to get, the Abba Zaba.
1: Is that banana <laughs> toffee or something?
2: <laughs> this is chewy toffee with a
3: peanut butter center. Okay. I you saw it, it at- yesterday. Did you find it in a time capsule from 1952? <laughs> no, man. Like, it looks like something a little rascal would eat. <laughs> this this store I found had all
2: these candies, and I found I go I gotta get this. So I bought it. I've never had one, so I'm gonna uh, do a little taste test after the show. This is what's gonna be my lunch since I okay, don't eat that great. Because anyway.
1: we're out of time, and no one cares how your abazaba turns out. <laughs> you're gonna care because you're probably gonna go get an abizaba. Got a better chance of seeing Santa Claus on the okay, show next week. here we go. Hey, you can follow us at After the Bell WWE on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me at WWE Graves. He is at Vic Joseph WWE. Listen for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're using Spotify, search After the Bell. Hit the follow button on Apple. Hit the plus sign on the ATB page so you never miss an episode while you're there. Give us that ever important five star rating. Leave us a review. Follow all your favorite shows in the WWE Podcast Network by following at WWE Podcasts on all social media platforms. We want you guys to weigh in on the discussion. There is still time if you have any suggestions for underrated candies that me and the crew need to check out. We would greatly appreciate that. Thanks to Alex and Dan for lending their expertise and their time this week. Thanks for nothing, Vic Joseph. Thank you. We'll be back next week with more wisdom. More vitriol and more WWE after the bell. bell. We're really bad at that.
0: Time travel to fun in the 16th century at the Maryland Renaissance Festival. Ten stages, food, pubs, shopping, jousting. Saturday, Sundays, and Labor Day Monday through October
3: 24th. For tickets, visit MarylandRenaissanceFestival.com. Save big on admission through September 12th.